0: The title of this program is Great Minds with Michael Medved, and it really does require a great mind and great breadth of learning to survey the entire sweep of Western intellectual history uh, to pick out a crucial but deeply disturbing trend. That's what Richard Weikert has done. He is a historian of modern Europe. And uh, teaches at California State University Stanislaus. He's also a senior fellow with Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture. And Dr. Weikert, your most recent book is called The Death of Humanity. Now, this is not a death that is due to climate change or global warming. What what is the meaning? What do you imply? Because it's not just one kind of death. How is humanity dying?
1: Yes. The title, The Death of Humanity, is actually indicating sort of two different kinds of use of the word death. Death of the concept of humanity, that is, of humans as humans. Uh, So uh, the notion that humans are something special, unique, uh, made in the image of God, sacred. These kinds of ideas about what humanity is, is on the decline in our society. And so there's this notion that this is uh, we're pen, you know, we're, we could be seeing ourselves with the death of the, this concept of humanity. But then also there are people who are being killed uh, abortion, infanticide, euthanasia because of these ideas, these dehumanizing ideas.
0: And when you talk about the dehumanizing ideas, you go right back to this notion, which has been the traditional notion in Western civilization, that human beings are created in the divine image.
1: Yes, I go back to the Enlightenment period to see the decline in that idea. So in the Declaration of Independence, uh, Jefferson could write that uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But today, those he, Jefferson couldn't say that. He couldn't say today that these are uh, that these are things that are unquestionable, indubitable, uh, because people are questioning. Right. Yeah, self-evident because people are questioning them all the time today.
0: Okay, and when they, when they question them, uh, part of it is this very notion that human beings were created with another dimension that other creatures, other animals lack. Uh, and the essence here is uh, what you discuss in your book is materialism. When most people hear the term materialism, they think, oh, that's people who are obsessed with things or with money. But you mean materialism in a far more profound and consequential manner.
1: Yes, the philosophical materialism, which is the idea that matter is everything that exists. So I start off the first chapter, uh, and I entitle it Man the Machine. And actually, the the way I got that title was from a famous book that was published in the 1740s by uh, Julien Delamattri. Delamattri was one of the leading French materialists of the Enlightenment period. Uh, And he called his book Man the Machine because he thought humans were just a machine. And then when I go on to my second chapter, uh, I call it "Created from Animals" because you get this notion then too that humans are just another animal. So these two ideas uh, that humans are just a machine that we're just you know uh, the product of uh, mindless processes that have brought us into existence over millions or billions of years, and then the idea that we're just another animal, these ideas have eroded the idea that humans are special, unique that they have special value in the universe. What's fascinating
0: to me, uh, and and looking at your book The Death of Humanity, it just leaps out, is that in the Jewish tradition, from which I come and which I try to honor, uh, the idea of the creation story in the Hebrew original goes to the essence of two different words in Biblical Hebrew, for a soul of an animal and for the soul of a human being. The two different words are Nishama, which is what human beings have, and then it's nefesh, it's a spirit that animals have. That notion that we have something that no other creature possesses because God breathes into us directly when he is creating Adam in the biblical story, that would be the very opposite of the materialistic
1: approach to human existence. Certainly. And that's what they're trying to deny in, in their materialist uh, philosophies uh, by trying to break down uh, the distinction between humans and any other kind of matter. In fact, just to give you one uh, interesting example, and this uh, Bertrand Russell, who is one of the most famous uh, early 20th century British philosophers, uh, made this comment about how everything that we have as humans, everything that we think sets us apart from humans, are just the accidental collocation of atoms. That's his term, the accidental collocation of atoms. Just We were just thrown together by accident over a time, and that's all we are. And it's random. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. random. It's by chance. There's, now, nothing mi- there's nothing mindful or purposeful about it.
0: Now, this wouldn't have any connection at all to Darwinian thinking.
1: Of course, Darwinism <laughs> has the same notion of not having uh, any kind of purpose, plan, or anything in in view. So, my second chapter on uh, created from animals, and by the way, the word created, the, that term created from animals actually does come from Darwin. Darwin used that term in his notebook. Uh, he talked about how we are created from animals. Uh, that notion that we're just another animal, yeah, it does come from Darwin. If you read Darwin's Descent of Man, uh, he does talk about humans as. Having just a little, little bit more social instinct, a little bit more rationality, a little bit more of what other animals had. So ultimately, what he was claiming is that we were just we were just quantitatively different than animals, but qualitatively, he didn't think we were different than animals.
0: Hey, you know, it's it struck me so so forcefully in conversation with with you, uh, Professor Weigert, that when Darwin titled his other important book, Descent of Man, uh Did he mean it in both ways, the idea that that human beings were not only descended from uh, other creatures, but that human beings were somehow
1: lower? No, I think he would have taken offense (laughs) at that notion. In fact, he makes very clearly he thinks they're higher. Uh, And even at the very beginning of, or excuse me, at the very close of Origin of Species, he makes a comment about how the, the higher animals have been produced through this process of natural selection and, and the struggle for existence and such. So, no, he, he thought that the, the humans were the highest, and he thought that certain races within humanity were higher than other races as well, and the Europeans he thought were at the pinnacle. Which, so, is,
0: which is part of what you get into in the death of humanity, right. uh, because uh, clearly if um, you're talking about the ascent of man— which is actually what, um, what Darwin believed in terms of his hierarchy of races, right. then you have every kind of justification for uh, victimizing, utilizing, exploiting, and ultimately destroying lesser races.
1: Exactly. And uh, it, it, could, it doesn't have to be races either. It could be different economic classes, and I discussed this as well in my book. So it depends on, you know, the Nazis believed in biological determinism and scientific racists and eugenicists. Eugenicists are those that believe in trying to engineer better human heredity, create a better human. Uh, People who believe in that kind of view bought into biological determinism, the idea that human uh, morality and characteristics, mental and moral characteristics are all uh, biologically determined. But then there were other a materialist who came along and said, no, it's all environmentally determined. It's just a product of your environment. So you have like Marxists, you know, communists, and other kinds of socialists who were thinking it's all environment. And so uh, interestingly, uh, it could be the race enemies like the Nazis targeted. Uh, that would be one kind of way of trying to engineer a better humanity. Or it could be trying to get rid of the class enemies, say of the Marxists, uh, by uh, you know the gulags. And the Soviet and, system. And
0: again, one of the things that you touch on is uh, the work of uh, Lysenko and this whole idea that uh, somehow, given the fact that if you're a, a full materialist, that you believe that human beings can be forced to evolve in a certain direction, to create a new man. What's wrong with that notion?
1: Well, for one thing, it was, it was actually uh, the—it the, ran afoul of Mendelian genetics, for one thing, but so, so that was one problem with it. And then the, the Soviets finally had to abandon it uh, as well. But there's a more fundamental problem, and the more fundamental problem, it seems to me, in, the, in the, what I'm dealing with in my book, Death of Humanity, is that it, it sees humans as just something to manipulate. It seems, sees humans as just something that's a uh, you know a product of material processes and so what happens is whether you're biological determinist like the Nazis and trying to engineer a, a new humanity by killing those of inferior races, killing people with disabilities, or if you're a Soviet communist or Chinese communist for that matter, uh, trying to engineer a new hum, human by uh, altering the environment, getting rid of those of uh, economic class, either way you're trying to manipulate other people Uh, But what's interesting is that you don't think about the fact that, what about the manipulator? The manipulator himself, whether it be Stalin, Hitler, or such, is also just the product of these chance processes uh, that took place over history. So there's no free will anywhere down the line. Uh, So how do they then make these choices for the rest of society?
0: Okay. When when you talk about the choices, I mean, one of the one of the answers that materialists would give back, and I think that's acknowledged in your book, is that, well, you, you have to do something about the physical circumstances of life. And they would indict religious faith by saying that uh, religious faith over the years has sanctioned and glorified poverty and asceticism and, and self-denial. And, uh, and and yet uh, a materialistic approach would uh, see that reducing pain and reducing hunger and reducing poverty, these are all noble and achievable human goals. The
1: response? Well, but it does it by reducing humans to being uh, having no value and no worth, and so there's no real reason to reduce poverty. Okay, so... If except for if, yourself, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, except for whatever you want for yourself and and what serves your own interests. So my response to that would be that that basically what happens very often is that, and I make this argument in my book at quite a number of places, uh, that materialists basically saw off the limb they're sitting on by destroying morality, but then wanting to make take moral positions like that we should have happiness for the human race, that we should do things that uh, provide for the betterment of humanity and all these kinds of things. And they also have very highfalutin goals. I mean, you look at Marxism and and, uh, what they're pushing for. You look at all its talk about oppression and all these other kinds of things. Well, they're making moral judgments all the time while they're undermining the notion that there is even such a thing as objective morality. And so part of the death of humanity that I talk about in my book is also the death of morality, the idea that there is no such thing as any kind of fixed norms, uh, objective, right or wrong. Uh, and so once you buy into that idea, then you open the door to these atrocities. Even if, even if the Marxism doesn't necessarily imply Stalin, you open the door to Stalin because you don't have anything to counter him with. You know, what, 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 what could a Marxist tell Stalin that, that is he doing wrong?
0: well again if if your your ultimate morality is um, uh, something that is defined by materialistic consequences, uh, and 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 this I think goes into uh, a very essential distinction that people would make between the common popular culture understanding of materialism and the philosophical materialism that you're talking about in your book, Death of Humanity. Why does an emphasis on materialism threaten death to the human project?
1: Because once you've undermined the notion that human life has value, it has purpose, it has meaning, it has moral significance, uh, there's no reason to preserve human life. Or basically, we can just decide which human lives we want to preserve and which ones we don't. And so you end up with arbitrary uh, notions about whose life we should Uh, preserve. So for example, one of the issues that I discuss in the next to the last chapter of my book is physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia. Uh, Well, uh, we are sort of, uh, in our society, we know on the one hand that suicide is not a good thing. And so we spend lots of money on suicide prevention programs. We set up uh, barriers at the Golden Gate Bridge, and put there's actually a hotline on the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, you can pick up the phone and call a uh, suicide prevention hotline there on the Golden Gate Bridge. We spend lots of money to try to keep people from committing suicide. So, we, at one level, I would argue we do, even materialists, know that there's something special about humans that they shouldn't be killing themselves. On the other hand, uh, when persons reach uh, Terminal people have terminal illnesses. We then can say, Well, those people's lives don't really have value, of course. And to be really consistent, I think the, the materials are saying that no human life really has any significance or value. But then we can just sort of make these arbitrary guidelines. So, in the state of Washington, Oregon, California, and several others, they, we now have physician assisted suicide where people with terminal illnesses can uh, get physicians to help them uh, commit suicide at the end of their lives. So we've made this judgment that their lives don't have value any longer and will even help you commit suicide.
0: If, if you look at American life and statistics,
1: and this is something that I,
0: I'm, I'm very concerned with and talk about a lot on the radio, uh, right now we've made progress in so many areas. We have um, fewer traffic deaths. We have fewer gun accidents. We have greatly reduced the levels of homicide in our country to levels that many people thought were impossible. The one area where um, we have not made progress is suicide. Uh, this is, uh, in, in, As a matter of fact, when you talk about gun deaths, which of course the, uh, is a very big concern of the left, um, the great majority of gun deaths now are people using firearms to end their own lives. Uh, Do you think that this reflects some of these cultural, philosophical changes that you're talking about?
1: Oh, I'm convinced it does. And in fact, there was really no significant debate about suicide in Western society until the Enlightenment period. In the Enlightenment period, there were a number of uh, writers and philosophers who began writing about suicide and began condoning suicide suicide. David Hume, for example, one of the more famous British philosophers of the 18th century, uh, wrote an essay called On Suicide. Uh, he published this posthumously because he knew it was very controversial, uh, but he basically said that everyone should have a right to take their own life, and he, bas- and he also said very clearly in that uh, essay that uh, the life of a human has no more significance to the cosmos than the life of an oyster. That sounds like that was the comparison, yeah, and that was the comparison that he made at that time. So that was the that was the sort of opening sound. There were several others during the eighteenth century also who made arguments about uh, suicide as well. Then, when you move into the nineteenth century, uh, there was no significant debate about euthanasia or physician-assisted suicide until the uh, eighteen seventies, and that. Uh, opened up after Darwinism came on the scene too, but it wasn't just Darwinism, it was Darwinism together with other secularizing tendencies at the time. But those two things together uh, were going to give rise to the euthanasia debate. So there's very clear uh, historical evidence that these philosophical ideas did help bring about uh, approval for suicide and assisted suicide later on, and I think we can still see that today.
0: There's another obsession of contemporary society that your book touches upon which uh, at its very heart is physical, materialistic, which has to do with sexuality. What does this have to do with the, the fact that uh, right now we have a, a culture that seems to be saturated with sexuality?
1: Yeah, interestingly, once again, going back to the Enlightenment period, there actually is a historian uh, just a few uh, years ago from Oxford University who wrote a book called The First Sexual Revolution. And he was talking about the 18th century enlightenment period. Uh, And so there was a lot of uh, sexual libertinism during the enlightenment period that flowed out of this idea that we're just all about a pursuit of pleasure. And so one of the things I talk about in one of the chapters of my book is this notion of that all we as humans are is just a machine that is just seeking pleasure. And so everything is about our pleasure seeking. uh, And so uh, sort of sexual mores then are considered a hindrance to that and so then i uh we should be pursuing sexual pleasure in whatever ways uh, we want to as long as it's not harming other people and And uh, so
0: and de-emphasize any reproductive elements and de-emphasize any spiritual elements to that connection
1: and even de-emphasize any notion of love which is a notion that evaporates uh, in the materialistic critique which is a
0: spiritual notion at its very heart Uh, dr weikert Uh, humanity's past and present, our self-image as human beings. Uh, All of these are ultimate questions that men and women have always been asking about ourselves. Thank you for joining me today to talk about your new book, The Death of Humanity. For more about Dr. Weikert's work, be sure to visit uh, our website. Uh, Our website is uh, mindswithmedved.com. Or you can go directly to Dr. Weikert's own website, which is darwintohitler.com. Your work challenges some of the fashionable narratives assumed by popular culture and some professional scholarship as well. To see your writing, uh, how your writing all fits together, I would encourage our audience to visit our website, mindswithmedved.com, to subscribe. And while you're there be sure to consider donating to continue this kind of work and to provide future episodes of Great Minds with Michael Medved.
1: Thank you.